0: Seated. Amen. And while you guys find a seat, I just want to let you know uh, you probably already figured it out because of uh, being in the room. And then also James mentioned it and all the kids up front. Today is family worship. And uh, so family worship just means we're just inviting everybody to come together uh, from the oldest to the youngest and the smallest to the tallest. And uh, there's kind of a reason that we do that. Um, one, we got a lot of people each and every Sunday, uh, they, get a, they give a lot of time and energy into keeping these kids on Sunday mornings, teaching them about the, the truth of Jesus and his word. And so we do this a couple of times during the year, really just to kind of give those folks a break. Uh, because I, I don't know if you know, but like a room full of uh, like 18 months old for an hour, that's tough work. And so we just do it just to give them a break. And then also, like, we really believe in, that, that God has established the family as the mouthpiece by which the gospel goes forth. And God established that. And so, like, we want to kind of, uh, we, we want to hold that in reverence. And so we want to give families an opportunity to worship together. You're segregated all week. You know, you go this place and that place and this place and, and here and there and, and that practice and, and, and this rehearsal and all that kind of stuff. And so why come to church and split up? You know, and and so, you know, there's the good and the bad in that. And so we believe firmly in our in our different ministries that we have in our student ministry, our preschool ministry, our children's ministry. But at the same time, we believe firmly in having families together. And so that's why we do this this morning. So I know it might be a little awkward. It might be a little different. You might at some point want to thump, hit, slap, you know, the person next to you. And if it's your husband, go ahead and do that, too. But uh, for the most part, we just want to encourage you guys to be a part of worship together as a family. So that's why we do it this morning. And also, if you've ever thought about like, helping out, you know, helping those people who need a break every now and then, we would love for you to sign up. And so when you leave here uh, after the service, out in the uh, foyer, there's a place to sign up for preschool ministry, kids ministry, and student ministry. Because it's more than babysitting. It's not babysitting. It's making disciples. And so we believe firmly in that. So if you'd love to do that, go see somebody out in the foyer. There's going to be three tables set up. We'd love to get y'all involved with that. All right, so with that said, we're going to uh, read the text this morning. And we're finishing up our series on smelling good. And uh, that's not talking about your bodily smell uh, or the smells that we're going to smell tomorrow while we're grilling hamburgers and ribs and hot dogs and all of the delicious goodness that we're going to partake. That's talking about smelling good with our life, the fact that we live in such a way that our life would be a pleasing aroma to God. And so we're finishing that up today, and Pastor Levi is going to start a new series next week. He's enjoying vacation. But we're in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 6, and we're going to go all the way to verse 21. So a big portion of Scripture finishing up, and we're going to look at that, and then I'll jump right in and talk about it. So Ephesians 5, starting in chapter 6, and going to go to 21. Y'all stand with me and honor God's Word as we read. Let me know you got it by saying amen. Let me know you're ready. All right, here we go. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 6, says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God becomes a, comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you were light in the world. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good, all that is right, and all that is true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use use of time, because the days are evil." Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Father help us to understand the importance and and God the the relevancy of this text today. God, as we celebrate tomorrow the independence of this country, and God, we look at where we live and what's going on around us. Father, help us to understand how this text, your word to us, to the Ephesians, helps us to understand how we should relate to the world around us, Father. And then we pray. Amen. You guys have a seat. So uh, I have a couple of questions for you. Um, One, do you guys like grace and mercy? Okay, good. Most of you do, like 30 40%. That's good. Uh, Second question is, you you know that everybody has a past, right? Okay, good. So I'm about to share with you a story from my past, which hopefully you're going to have some grace and mercy about, uh, that has to do with my favorite story about light. Uh, So uh, when I was in high school, uh, we had junior-senior wars. That's what they were called. So I'm sure most of you uh, who have teenagers right now in high school, you're like, oh, yes, I know what those are. Now, I've shared this story with some of you, so you're probably going to know it, But so just kind of sit tight for a little bit. But I just want to go ahead and say I don't condone any of these things that I'm about to tell you. I'm just merely stating what happened to me, and every time I think of the word light, the story that comes to my mind. So during junior-senior wars of my senior year, one of the things that we would do is uh, we would go work on our floats. Then after we would work on our floats, uh, we would go out and we would have junior-senior wars. And our junior-senior wars uh, looked a little bit differently than what I've heard they do around here. Like we didn't really try to like destroy property or anything. We were just merely trying to just kind of like be menacing to the other class. And so like we would ride around town in our cars and if we found juniors at like Walmart or like McDonald's or anything like that, we would roll down our window and we would just start chunking eggs at them or we would start shooting them with paintball guns. Yes, we did that. I don't condone that. I'm just telling you what we did, okay? And so it was really fun like to see like a junior come out of like Walmart walking with their eggs and their shaving cream, you know, thinking, oh, we're about to go get some seniors and then we'd roll up beside them and just like shoot them with paintball guns. It was the best thing ever. Uh, But after we would do that for a while, then we would go hide out somewhere and then we would call the juniors and say, hey, this is where we are. And so they would kind of play this game of hide and go seek and they'd come and find us. Well, the last night we decided we were kind of tired of all the policemen in the town taking our guns, um, which is what they would do. They would, you know, if they found us in Walmart, you know, and they were like, hey guys, y'all don't need to be doing this. Give me your paintball guns. And they would tell us to go home and they would send us to the house. And, you know, the night was over. They were just trying to keep things safe. So we kind of got tired of that. So we're like, let's go outside of city limits. So one person had a house that was on a tiny little country road, two lane road, and we had about 120 uh, seniors lined up against the road in this ditch, in this ravine. So we told the juniors this is where we were. And so they would drive down this little country road and we would hide. And then as they drove by in their cars, I don't condone this either, we would pop up and we would chunk eggs and shaving cream, bullet-filled balloons, and we would shoot them with paintball guns. It was the best thing ever. I, think I, like I, remember, uh, I remember one time this car was going real slow, and this girl was like, like yelling at everybody out the car, so I chunked an egg, and it was like perfect timing. Like as the car was going by, the window was rolled down, and then all of a sudden, smack, just straight across the face, and you're like, oh my God, and you know, she drove off, and it was so awesome. And so uh, I, that kind of continued, and then after a while, it, I, again, I do not condone this. I'm just telling you what happened in my past, okay? Favorite story when I think about the word light. So uh, a few moments went by, and then all of a sudden there's this blazer that had its lights turned off. And it was going really slow towards the house that we were all located in. And somebody hollered out, don't shoot this one, it's an unmarked. So uh, y'all know what that means, like it was a a police officer or a county or somebody. So it ended up being an unmarked county guy. So as soon as somebody hollered that, we heard a spoof on the side with an egg. And we're thinking, oh man. as soon as that happened, he whipped it into the driveway, jumped out of the car, and he said, what do you think he said? don't move now you tell 120 teenagers who have been mischievous for the last four nights don't move what do you think's going to happen they're going to go everywhere they're going to scatter so that's what we did we scattered we were like i'm not getting in trouble i'm not getting my paintball gun taken and so we started scattering and so we found ourselves near the highway and my buddies were like hey call for a ride and so i started to call somebody and i, I couldn't get anyone and so while i was calling they left and they took off and i didn't know where they were and so they were going to go to the nearest gas station to wait there because hey maybe somebody would show up and we can bum a ride and we get back to our cars and we won't get in trouble so about that time i look up and so i'm trotting through this trailer park where they sell trailer homes and then down south coming down the highway south is this truck honking it's horn at me i'm like ah oh, redemption there it is there's my ride so uh, they pull into the trailer park. And so I run, and I kind of like Jason it. I kind of like hop and then like hit off of one leg and like fall down in the back. And then I'm like, go, 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 go. And then they don't go anywhere. And so I'm like, why are they not moving? And so I look in the, uh, so I look up into the window in the front seat, and there's this seven-year-old boy staring at me like, and then his mom is out of the truck, and she's honking the horn. I got one! I got one! I got one! And so I'm thinking, Oh, great, this wasn't my ride. And so I get up, and as soon as I get up, and I see the like gas station in the distance, and right between us and the gas station is about a thicket of woods. This the thick of uh, the span of this room. And about that time, as I'm running that way, I see the cops coming the same way. I'm like, oh, man, this is it. So I keep on running. I'm like, if I can make it to that thicket of woods, I'm good. So I get into the thicket of the woods, and I jump right in the middle of it, and I, like, lay down prone, just, like, covering my head and just laid there. And then I heard the cars pull in, heard the doors close, and, you know, you hear the the gravel as, uh, as they're approaching the edge of the woods and then all of a sudden as they approach the edge of the woods you know, y'all know what policemen have at night time to help them see right flashlight so I'm laying there in the woods and all of a sudden boom there it comes now it wasn't this flashlight like he had one of those you know, if you looked at it you would be blinded but it, you know, I could feel you know, have you ever played hide and seek in the dark with a flashlight and you're hiding and that flashlight goes by you and the closer it gets you feel it yeah so it's doing it like that and then it'll kind of like gl- just kind of graze me and then it'll go by and then it'll come back. And then, and then there's that moment where it goes by me and then it goes back. I'm thinking, oh no, here it is. And so he says, I see you. And I'm thinking in my mind, no, he doesn't. He's just playing me. He's just trying to make me think that like, so I'll, he'll like, I'll move. And then he'll be affirmed. There he is. I'm going in. And so it doesn't move from me. And so he says, no, 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 I see you. And so, oh man, he sees me. He's like, don't make me come in there or it's going to get much worse. I'm thinking, I don't want it to get much worse than what it is. And so I, I get out, and so uh, I'm, I'm going out, and you know he 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 doesn't handcuff us or anything. They're just trying to keep us safe, and they're making us go home. And so he says, uh, "So were you involved in, in what was going on?" "Yeah, we were." He said, "All right, well we're going to need you to go home. We're going to give you a ride to your car. Where is it?" "Well, it's at the shop where we make our uh, our float." And oh, okay. So we're as we're walking to the car, I hear, "Oh, he's a Roni," which is my last name. So. I was thinking, oh, great, mom and dad are definitely finding out about this. And so I'm walking to the car. They're about to escort me back. They open the door, and in the back are my buddies. Hey, man, what's up? Hey, guys, how are you doing? And so they took us home. We, they you know, they, did, they uh, told us not to do that anymore, and they, uh, and they sent us to our cars, and we went home that night. And you know, everything was fine. Nobody got hurt. I do not condone that, Okay. I do not condone that. The only reason I mention that is because we're talking about light this morning. And when I think of the word light and the idea of exposing things, I'm always drawn back to that feeling of laying in the woods in the darkness and the flashlight passing over me and feeling that just, kind of that defensiveness that you get when that light exposes you, you know? And when I think about where we're gonna go This morning, I think about the world we live in right now. We have a lot of people, particularly Christians, that are standing with flashlights and spotlights and shining it on the world and calling out the world for what's going on and what's happening and all the stuff that we see, the stuff in Orlando, the stuff a couple of weeks ago with the gay pride parades and all the different things that are going on with abortion and sex trafficking and the amount of stuff that we see in the world that we were like, look at that! And we're exposing it but I don't know if we're doing anything about it. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking in our office, like, how how does the church relate to what happened in Orlando? How how do we relate to a continuous string of things that we see in this world that we know are evil, but what do we do? And thankfully, we're in a text this morning in Ephesians that gives us some answers, and God's not silent about our role and responsibility when it comes to the darkness that is around us. And so we're reading Ephesians, and when you look at Ephesians chapter um, chapter five, and then you go to verse eleven, it says it, t- it says take no part, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. But it says expose them. And so I think there's two important questions that we need to ask of the text. We're not just going to look at that one that one verse, but like there's some really big stuff in here. Some Really big concepts, some really big ideas, some really big responsibility that as a church we're supposed to have, and so we need to answer two really important questions: is one, like, what does it look like to partner with darkness? Because that's what Paul is encouraging us to do. He's like, listen, don't have any partnership with them in any with them anymore. So the first question is, you know, what does partnering with darkness look like? And then the second question is, how do you go about exposing the darkness for what it is? Because those are huge questions for us today. What does partnering with darkness look like? Well, first off, what is darkness? Like we need to answer that question. And Paul kind of gives us that in the first five verses of Ephesians chapter 5. He kind of spells it out for us. If you look in uh, Pastor Levi, talked about it as well. It says sexual immorality, impurity, which is the word porneia. So it's any kind of sexual act outside of marriage as well as outside of any normal sexual act between a man and a woman. It says no foolish talk or filthiness. Then he says, like, also, you should avoid being covetous. You should be, avoid being impure. And then Jesus even goes a little bit further, and, and he kind of lays it out for us and gives us an addendum as well in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, where he tells us that darkness is theft, false witness, slander, murder, murder adultery, evil thoughts, sexual immorality. Kind of lays it out there. Like this is what darkness looks like, kind of defines it for us. But our question is, what does partnering with that darkness look like? Because Paul made it clear. He was like, "Look, you were once darkness. This, these things used to characterize your life. He says, "But you are no longer darkness, for Jesus has shown in you, and He has eliminated the darkness. And so now you're not to partner with the darkness." And so when I read the text, I'm kind of like, well, what does partnering with the darkness look like? What does that entail? Because we're we're in this predicament, right? Like, how do we be a light for the world but not get invested into the world where it changes us? And so partnering with darkness, I think uh, there's kind of two facets, and Paul talks about it. And the first thing that that we can do to partner with darkness is we try to cover up our sin with cleverness. That's that's what Paul was talking about with the Ephesians. Right when he he kicks off in chapter... um, I'm sorry, in verse 6, he says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. In other words, don't let anyone trick you into thinking that God is okay with the sin in their life. That People were finding loopholes around the word of God. They, they, were, they were doing things that maybe the word of God wasn't like very direct on or maybe kind of have just kind of become the social norm. And so they kind of just discarded what the word of God said and they said, you know what, this is the norm now, everybody does it, let's kind of disregard what the, what the Bible says. And that's what was going on. People in the church and people outside of the church were having these arguments. Then Paul said, he called them empty words. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for the wrath of God will come upon these things. What things? Sexual immorality, lying, coveting, adultery, theft, all, all false witness. Like, God's wrath is coming upon these things. So Paul was like, don't let somebody tell you or trick you into thinking that God is not wrathful or vengeful against the things that He has already declared evil. Sound familiar? Like, I mean, what's amazing is like we've been having this conversation for thousands of years. God has established His word as and w- what is right for man to do, and for some reason, our society thinks that we're so much smarter than society years ago. But they're still having the same argument. We even have people in the church having the same argument. We, me, even myself, at some points in my life, I find myself doing the same thing. Finding a loophole in the word of God that will allow for my sin. And Paul is very descriptive in saying that the wrath of God is coming on that. And so we need to be careful to make sure we're not partnering with darkness in our own life by covering up our sin with cleverness. And do you want to know the most dangerous question that you can ask within the church or outside of the church and the question that our society is asking right now? The most dangerous question that you can ask when it comes to covering up sin with cleverness is, did God really say? Do you know that's the first question in the Bible? If you, if you look at Genesis 1 and then go into Genesis 2, you'll see that God created the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested. And then God established man as the, uh, uh, as the ruler over the earth. And then gave him a helper. And then throughout, throughout all of that portion, you'll see that as God is referenced, most of the time, God is referenced as Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. Genesis chapter 3, Satan comes onto the scene. And he has a conversation with Eve. Eve. And what's interesting about that is that he has a conversation with Eve. He says to Eve, not Lord God, but did God really say? Subverting the authority of God by trying to diminish his name and demean his word. Did God really say? That's a dangerous question to ask in our life. That's a dangerous question to ask when we're having conversations with people that don't know about Jesus or where we're talking about the world around us in the essence of like, what do we do with it? And, And then for us to kind of sit and speculate, I'm not really sure. And then to say, did God say that? And then leave it at that. So we need to make real sure that we're not partnering with darkness by trying to cover up our sin with cleverness. But also partnering with darkness looks also like a persistent desire for sin. So not only are you covering your sin up with cleverness, but you have a persistent desire of it. Anybody in your family have family values when you grew up, like established, like named family values? I'm just curious. Any, anybody in here? Any, anybody have that? Like were you named them? Okay, we got some. That's awesome. And some of you had some unspoken family values growing up. You know, we, you know, we treat each other with kindness. We don't lie. Um, you know, we, we always are respectful of people. You know, you, you know, things like that. Not necessarily commands, but values. Like you, things that you're going to hold true to and that, that establish your family in a certain way of life what paul is saying when he's talking about the sons of disobedience and talking about how the wrath of god is going to come upon things like lying and cheating and stealing and sexual immorality and impurity and coveting what he's talking about when he says sons of disobedience he's talking about somebody who is actually practicing their family values and what are the family values of the sons of disobedience darkness so if you think about it the family values you're instilling into your kids or that you were instilled to you you acted those out on a daily basis. You know, if, you, if you wanted to please your mom or your dad, you, you did those things because you wanted to see them pleased. And so what Paul's saying is that you know, partnering with darkness is looking like having a life that is pers- has a persistent desire for sin. Never ending. Why is it never ending? Because you value darkness. And Paul was saying like the wrath of God is coming on that. Don't don't partner with them. Partnering with them is covering up your sin with cleverness and is persistently desiring sin. So that's what it means to not partner with darkness. Second question. Well, how do we go about exposing the light for or sorry, exposing the darkness for what it is? And we know, we know what partnership looks like. You know, and Jesus helped us out with that as well. You know, Jesus made it very clear: this is what living like the light looks like amidst the darkness. You don't partner with it. You live in a way to show others out, but for us, I had you know, how do we do that? Like, what are some things that help us in that process? Because it doesn't stop with the responsibility to dispel the darkness in our own; it continues in that we must expose the darkness in this world. That's what Paul says. God's telling us in verse eleven: Look, don't take part in the darkness, but instead expose it. And I had I had I kind of had trouble with this text because I was reading and I was like, it. Is this talking about exposing the darkness in the church? Because let's, let's be frank for a moment. There's darkness in this church right now. Not just this church, but every church. You know why? Because sinners come to it. And so I was kind of thinking, like, but it, Paul, are you, are, you, are, like, are you referring to like we need to expose the darkness in the church and kind of hold one another accountable, which we're supposed to do? But is that what you're talking about? And as I did more studying, Paul was being very direct in that when we are exposing the works of darkness, he was not talking about the works of darkness that are going on in our own life, which we need to do, but also outside of the walls of the church. He's like, it is the Christian duty. God is... In, it is Telling us it is your Christian responsibility that you should expose the works of darkness in the world around you. It's part of it. We're not just supposed to get rid of the sin in us and allow Jesus to fix us, we're supposed to be the conduit by which Jesus gets the light to others. And so, how do you do that? Because, you know, if you turn on the news, you'll probably see some people that have their concept of how to do it. And so I I brought something with me today, and I already showed you my flashlight, but I brought another little thing, uh, just a lantern. And just kind of wanted to talk about these for a second. So, you you know, you got the flashlight, and then you got the lantern. Let Let me get this lit. I hope this isn't a fire hazard. Uh, Mike, are we okay? Fire hazard? Okay, good. Alright, sweet. I figure one little light wouldn't hurt with all these thousands of lights like on right now, so I think, I think we're alright. I don't know if it's going to light. Should have trimmed the wick. It's not going to light. Alright, so you get the concept though. So if you think about it, you know, lights are used to expose things. We're supposed to expose the darkness. So when it comes to a flashlight, when you think of like how a flashlight works, a flashlight is it works from a distance. It, it, it works from a distance, and, it, and its light is focused and concentrated. So it, it shows only a portion of the darkness. So if this room was completely dark, it, you know, it, it would give some ambient light, but for the most part, it's kind of concentrated and focused all in one area. You know, the other thing about a flashlight is that as you use a flashlight, it's kind of helping you be safe from whatever darkness you're looking at. So in other words, it shows a little bit further out. And then only, you know, the other thing with a flashlight is like you kind of get to control where the light goes, right? I mean, you know, it's kind of one directional, It only goes one way. And so then you have uh, a lantern. Now with the lantern, it's a little bit more of an interesting light. It only gives light to the darkness around you. It's not necessarily the darkness over there. It's more like the darkness that's kind of in the proximity that you're in. And, and and this light, um, this light is not necessarily a light that is exposing a very small picture, but as it gets closer, it's kind of giving you a broader image of what the darkness looks like. And the other thing about like a lantern is that it's kind of 360 degrees. Not only does it show you what's in front of you, but it's illuminating what's beside you. And guess what? It's also shining on yourself. And, and, and with that, its light is not necessarily allowing you to stand from a distance. Its light is making you go closer so you can see it better. So let me ask you. If we're supposed to expose the darkness in the world, which light do you think we should be? Flashlight or the lantern? Lantern. Lantern. See, the thing with the lantern is the lantern makes us go to the darkness. The lantern helps give us a broader view of the darkness so that we can better understand what kind of darkness it is. The lantern, as we carry it, our light into the world, not only exposes the darkness around us, but it exposes the darkness within us and makes sure that we get the log out of our eye before we help our brothers and sisters get the log out of their eye. And it pulls us closer to the darkness and the danger. You know, what's interesting is that Paul shows us what living in the Spirit, exposing the darkness, letting the light of Christ shine in us, what that does. So how do we go about exposing the darkness? We do it by living in three ways. Right living, faithful witness, and integrity of character. You know, if you think about it, right living, faithful witness, and integrity of character looks a lot more like this than it does this. Because when you have right living, faithful witness, and integrity of character, that means you've got to live close enough to the darkness that it has an effect. But with the flashlight, if this was your life, then the only thing that you ever have to do is stand out and point the darkness. There it is. Hope it gets fixed. Hope somebody goes over there with the light and does it. But see, what Paul was saying is like the only way that we should go about living is that we should go about living in such a way that as we shine our light, it exposes the darkness around us. I love what Matthew Henry says, old scholar from years ago. He says, we must prudently and in our places witness against the sins of others and endeavor to convince them of their sinfulness when we can do it seasonably and pertinently in our words and then check this out but especially by the holiness of our lives and a religious conversation this was this was Henry talking about this text that our job is not to be the sounding board where we merely call out the darkness our job is to be the carrier of the light to the darkness and, th- and there's big differences there you know the, the danger that I see with this call that as the church, we're supposed to expose the darkness because the darkness has been exposed in us and then we're supposed to do it in the world around us. The danger with that that is that I think a lot of people take it to think that means I can do, say, and react in whatever way I want against the darkness in the world. And that's not the case. We have a prescription by which we fight the darkness. And so, you know, my question to you is, you know, how how are you fighting the darkness in your life? Because like, that's where you got to start first. And that's what Paul said to the people He and a little bit uh, later down um, at the, uh, I'm sorry, at verse 15. He says, look then carefully how you walk. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand, this is verse 17, what the will of the Lord is. Our responsibility is to find for ourselves the will of the Lord. Like we're supposed to dispel the darkness in us and then shine the light to others. And then that light will look like righteous living faithful witness to the Word of God. In other words, what is good, what is right, and what is true. Integrity of moral character. And see, some of us are so caught up in, like, first, we, we can't get past, like, finding the will of God for our own selves. You know, another dangerous question to ask, besides the one, did God really say? Another dangerous question to ask is, you know, can you be a Christian and get away with this blank can I, can I do this much and still be okay? See, that's a bad question to ask because that's the same question the, the Ephesian church was asking. They were like, there's this world around us that seems enticing. So could we get away with this? Could we get away with participating in this party that they're having over here and all the alcohol they're consuming? You know, it's kind of a cultural thing. So we're trying to be the light over here. Like, can, is that all right? And they, Paul's making it very evident. No, 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 no. It's not about how much can you get away with. Instead, the question should be, how do I become more godly? What do I do in my life that would make me more godly? And and that's different for everybody because we're in different stages. But thankfully, the word dictates what that is. We're supposed to expose the darkness of the world around us. And as we do it, we carry a lantern into the world, a lantern full of what is good and right and true and a lantern that shines on ourself as much as it shines on the darkness in others. And so, you know, I don't have to convince you this world's messed up. There's darkness in it. There's darkness in all forms. You know, right now, I think one of the darkest marks on our society is um, the, the dark mark that comes uh, with sexual immorality and, and human trafficking. I don't know, I don't know if you, you know this, but Right now, the average age of, uh, of a child that is trafficked in the United States is 13 years old. Two million, an estimated two million children in the world will be used in the human trafficking business this year. In 2019, when the Super Bowl comes to Atlanta, Georgia, guess what? That will be the highest child trafficking event during the year in Atlanta. Every year when people converge on one city for the Super Bowl, people come with their needs, with their wants, with their desires that are completely evil, and they want to carry those out on kids. So uh, back in 2013, there was this guy, his name was Tim Ballard. Tim Ballard was an ex-CIA uh, Latin American operative. And so he decided, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of this. He started to see the destruction and, and, and the evil that was involved with the practicing of human trafficking, particularly of kids. And so in 2013, he started an organization called Operation Underground Railroad. And so they exist to prosecute those who are taking advantage of children, as well as to rescue those children out of the darkness. 529 kids since 2013 have been released, and 129 have been prosecuted because of his work. Because Tim Ballard decided, I'm tired. That's evil. That's darkness. It's time for me to be a light, and it's time for me to do something. See, Tim Ballard had the same choice that you and I have when it comes to our relationship with darkness. And here it is we can either curse the darkness or we can turn on the light. Pretty simple. But can you imagine the impact that would happen if we would merely, in our life, when it comes to the evil and dark world around us, if we would maintain this mantra, we have two choices, curse it or turn on the light. In in your businesses, in your homes, in, in your schools, wherever it is you go, whatever it is you do, whatever degree of darkness you find yourself up against, you have the choice. Curse it, turn on the light. An incredible calling and an incredible responsibility we have on the life of the Christian. That we are the moral compass for this world around us. And aren't you thankful that Jesus, like he set the bar, the example for us in that? That he didn't stand up in heaven and curse the darkness and look at it and call it what it is and say, you know, it's terrible, it's wretched, I can't believe they're doing that. But instead he came as the light. I mean, it says in John, John chapter, uh, John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The only way Jesus would have been the light of the world was if he had stepped into the world. What light or what world are you a light to? And so thankfully, Jesus has done an incredible work in us by dispelling the darkness in us, exposing. That's why it says in the text when Paul says, Awake, O sleeper, and let Christ shine in you. Because that is what he is doing. He is shining in our hearts to expose the darkness in us so that we can be used to do the same in the world. And we do it through what is good, what is right, and what is true. And so you have a choice: curse the darkness or turn on the light. Let's pray. Father, as we go into this time of response, okay, I ask God that you would be, you would be honored in, in how we respond, whether we need to pray, whether we need to come forward and and, and give our hearts to you in and, and, and submission, knowing that, Father, we have never allowed your light to shine in our hearts and to expose the darkness and to remove the sin. So uh, heads bowed, eyes closed. Just a, just a quick word. You know, Ephesians was written to a group of Christians who were trying to learn how to live in a world and so for us, you know, our responsibility, if you're a Christian, is to curse, is, I'm sorry, is not to curse the darkness, but it's to turn on the light. But for some of you in here, maybe the light has never turned on in your heart. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, the light's never turned on in your heart, you've never allowed yourself to be exposed to the regenerative and the exposing light of Christ in your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I want to give you an opportunity to confess, to profess, to submit to Jesus to admit that you're a sinner, believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead and then to confess your sin. So if you're here this morning and that's you and you know you need to do that, I just want to pray with you real quick. You can pray with me. Say, Father, I know that I'm a sinner in need of your grace. Thank you that your light came to die on a cross and to save me. I believe in that light and therefore I confess that I am a sinner in need of your salvation. I submit to you as Lord. I want to follow you. We're about to have a time of response. We're going to sing a, a song. And uh, we'll be down front, me and a couple of other pastors. And if so, you'd like to talk about the decision. You made that decision this morning. We would love to talk to you about that. Or I'll, Also, you might be hearing, you know that you need to join in and partner with us in being the light here in this area. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a member at Concord. So if that's you, you guys stand and we'll be down front in the time of response.